the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. Following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. Now, why are we to honor church leaders? Well, Paul said because of their work. It's not because they're older, not because they have an official title, not because they might be friendly to you. No, you might not even like them personally. Their personality might irritate you. They might go against your grain. No, you're not to honor them because you agree with everything they do. No, Paul says you honor them because of their work. They're doing it for you and for service to the Lord. So understand, when Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of an overseer to find work he desires to do, Understand that the church approved of elders because they learned it from Paul. Paul approved of it. Paul taught them to approve and appreciate the role of leaders in the church. Now let's apply this truth to our situation. Do you appreciate and esteem the elders of this church? Now I know you appreciate me. I really do. I have no question about that. I know you esteem me highly in love. You're always telling me that. I know that. I appreciate that. But do you look at the other men the same way? Welcome to Verse by Verse, a radio broadcast that carefully examines and teaches the Scripture. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff, and as we ended the previous broadcast, he was talking about showing honor or appreciation to those who diligently labor among you. That diligently labor among you is a quote from 1 Timothy chapter 3. Well, as Pastor Steve mentioned, the word for labor means strenuous work or wearisome toil. He's going to continue with that thought in just a moment and also dig more deeply into the phrase, if any man aspires to the office of an overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. What does that exactly mean? I think by the time we get to the end of today's broadcast, we will have a pretty good idea of what Paul meant. And I think we will also have a greater appreciation for the leaders in our respective churches. Here now with today's verse-by-verse broadcast is Pastor Steve Kreloff. The thought here is not just that you know who they are. They probably knew who they were. That was the whole problem. They knew who they were. The thought here is to know them in the sense of recognizing their importance, properly appreciating them. And appreciate is a good way of translating this. Appreciate them. Know them and appreciate them would be the thought here. Who are these men? What have they done? Why should I appreciate them? Well, he says, these are those who diligently labor among you. These men worked hard. This word for labor means strenuous work, wearisome toil. And who do they labor for? Not themselves, 
But for you, he says, for the church's welfare, they diligently labor among you. They probably had jobs that they worked at during the day, and when they got back, they took care of counseling and visitation and studying the Word of God, and these guys are working hard, Paul says. So appreciate them. They're not doing it for themselves. They could be spending time with their families. They're ministering to you. Most likely not even paid for it at all. Then he says in verse 12, not only have they diligently labored amongst you, they have charge over you. These are the men who guide the church. They are leaders. They are not lording it over the church, but they are leading the church. They have charge over you. They have to make some decisions on your behalf. Not only that, he says, and they give you instruction. The expression is they admonished you. They warned you. They corrected you. So appreciate them for that. Then he says in verse 13, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Esteem them very highly in love. Honor them as fully as possible is the thought here. Don't just esteem them, but esteem them highly. Very highly in love. Now, why are we to honor church leaders? Well, Paul said because of their work. It's not because they're older. Not because they have an official title. Not because they might be friendly to you. No, you might not even like them personally. Their personality might irritate you. They might go against your grain. No, you're not to honor them because you agree with everything they do. No, Paul says you honor them because of their work. They're doing it for you and for service to the Lord. So understand, when Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of an overseer to find work he desires to do, understand that the church approved of elders because they learned it from Paul. Paul approved of it. Paul taught them to approve and appreciate the role of leaders in the church. Now let's apply this truth to our situation. Do you appreciate and esteem the elders of this church? Now I know you appreciate me. I really do. I have no question about that. I know you esteem me highly in love. You're always telling me that. I know that. I appreciate that. But do you look at the other men the same way? I've had people in the past say to me, well, you know, they stand at the door and shake hands, but we'd like you to. Well, that's not holding them highly in love. That's really not. You see, when we say that being a leader is significant, we're saying that the role of an elder is significant. If you miss that and you make a separation between the man in the pulpit and the elders, then you miss the point. There's no double standards. It isn't that you're to esteem me and hold me highly in love. It's that all the men function as pastors. There is no dichotomy of that in the New Testament. There is no one guy who calls the shots. There's one guy who wanted to call the shots, and he's rebuked. His name is Diotrephes. He loved to be first. There are no firsts in that sense of authority over others. And if you miss that, you'll only be concerned that the man in the pulpit meets the spiritual qualifications of 1 Timothy chapter 3. And that's the point where many churches go off. They are only concerned when they look for what they call a pastor, meaning a pulpit pastor. They are only concerned, if they are at that, that he's the only one to meet these qualifications. And they are very likely to put men on the board who never meet these qualifications and should have no right being on the board or whatever they want to call them. And so that's what we really need to understand, that you need to think about the broad picture here, not just me. The church at Thessalonica was taught to appreciate all the men for their work, not just the most vocal teacher, of which in this church I would be it. So you can't be double standards for a pastor and elder. 
God sees them functioning as shepherds. So it's very important that you understand that. And I say this, I can't emphasize it more, that if you miss this point, then you will miss the whole point of the passage, which is to evaluate those who labor amongst you to make sure that they are at the standard that God says they're to be at. Not just me. It's for all the men and all the future elders as well. So the first reason why church leadership is significant is because it is an approved saying, approved by the church because they were taught it from the Apostle Paul, and Paul was the example to them in appointing elders. Secondly, it is an attractive service. Not only is it an approved saying, but it's an attractive service. Look at the rest of verse 1. After he says it's a trustworthy statement, he says this. Here is the trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of an overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. Great verse. This verse has just been in my heart and mind through these weeks. I have thought of this so much that sometimes I just move on and forget that it may be new to you. And I need to deal with an issue here because inevitably when someone reads this for the first time or thinks about it for the first time, it strikes them kind of strange. They read that expression, if any man aspires to the office of an overseer, they read it and say, that's not right. We're not to have ambition to be a pastor, an elder, an overseer in the church. Who said we're not to have ambition to be that? It depends on what's the motives of your ambition. If your ambition is carnal, if it's for personal gain, then it's wrong. It's not wrong to want to be an overseer. The Bible doesn't say that. Jeremiah 45.5 says, Seekest thou great things for yourself? Seek them not. Now that would be the wrong kind of ambition. The wrong kind of ambition is the mother of James and John coming to the Lord Jesus in Matthew 20 and saying, Lord, when you're in your kingdom... I want my boys on your left hand and right hand. And Jesus said, you don't understand. In my kingdom, the greatest is the servant of all. He's not the one who lords it over. So it would be wrong if the aspiration here, if the desire here is for personal gain. That is not what Paul is dealing with. But there are men who enter the ministry for the wrong reasons. Men who want it because of the prestige, the money, the fame, the power, the job security, the pension, the honor, the respect, pastoral discounts, all kinds of reasons. But Paul isn't referring to that kind of personal ambition or that aspiration. The word aspire means to reach out after something, to stretch out, to grasp something. It's used in a positive sense in Hebrews chapter 11 where they were grasping a better city, better country, better land. They looked for another land. They stretched out. The thought here is to outwardly pursue something, to want it outwardly and to make provision to try to get it. Outward pursuit. But the word desire, the end of this verse, speaks of an inward kind of passionate compulsion. So you have the desire being inward, but the aspiration being outward. The thought is this, a man pursues the role of an elder outwardly because he is inwardly driven. Do you understand that? He outwardly pursues it because he is inwardly driven. Everyone who is truly called to be in the ministry, whether you are paid or not for it, really is not the issue at all, has that inward drive. The Apostle Paul said, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Paul didn't say, Lord, I volunteer. You need people? I'll do it. No, Paul said, woe is me if I don't do it. Paul was drafted. He didn't enlist. It's something that you have to do. I look at my own life, and there's no logical reason why I should be in the ministry. There really isn't. 
I look back at my life, and I knew this in my life, but I was thrilled to discover it, that what was in my life was based on Scripture. I just couldn't pinpoint it until a few years ago, until I discovered this truth. In my life, I had, ever since my conversion a number of years ago, had a burning desire to be a pastor. I'd have people try to say, well, have you thought of doing this? And I just can't. I have to be a pastor. And if you take that away from me, you kill me, basically is what it is. Just a few weeks ago, as I shared with you about having the inner ear virus, I really went through a deep struggle in my own life because I could see my ministry going up in flames. I thought the doctor would say, you can't read anymore, you can't study you get tired, you can't do this, you have to lie down, that kind of, and I could just see my ministry going away from me, and it was really a hard time in my own life trusting the Lord. I don't justify that, that's wrong, but I will say one reason I had trouble dealing with that is you take the pastorate away from me and you take my life. For me, that's it. I don't know how to sell cars. I don't know how to do anything else. See, it's not wrong to make it known that you want to be an elder, as long as your motives are right. It's not wrong. I admit you, I want to be one. I don't want to be one for power or prestige or fame or money or any of those things. I want to be it because God's put that desire in my heart. A man should not be an elder just because he's asked to or because his church needs him or because he thinks it's a nice way to serve the church. If you can live without it, then do it. Nothing wrong with that. James says, be careful about being a teacher. Don't be too quick to be a teacher. If you can live without being an elder involved in the ministry, then by all means, do it. I can't. I remember hearing Donald Gray Barnhouse, at least it said that he said this to someone who asked him about being a pastor. And Barnhouse said to him, if you could do anything else in this world and be happy doing it, do it. You're not called to be a pastor. That's the way it is. But you see, it's not just on the level of the pulpit. It's on the level of all elders. Now, granted, there is going to be that degree of passion, and it'll differ in men. I may have more of a burning desire than some, or others may have more of that burning passion in them than I do. The degree is not the issue, but it must be there. If you don't have that, if you can be satisfied doing anything else, then do it. You can live with that satisfaction of being involved in a, what we'd call secular work, then do it. And God's not calling you. I can't. Elders who are called cannot. If an elder doesn't feel this way, if he feels he could just take it or leave it, it's nice. If it comes to me, it's okay. It'd be an honor to be asked. If that's the attitude, then God hasn't called you. Not yet. He might call you. I mean, I don't know when God calls people on that. He may call someone in their 60s. He may call someone there in their 20s. How does he call? Well, I didn't hear a voice from heaven. I mean, I've heard people say, I was sitting in the church and God spoke to me and I knew I was called. I can't tell you any time in my life that ever happened. How do I know God called me? Because I have a desire to do it. It's not a selfish desire. I get no personal gain out of it. But I have this burning desire. I can't do anything else. I can't. Not and be satisfied. And that's why a man is driven to be an elder, because God is working in his heart, giving him this desire. You see, ultimately, it is God who appoints elders, not the local church. The local church and the present leadership simply recognize it, but it is God who appoints men. This is his church, and he's the one who has to put the burden in the heart of a man, and then that man begins to function as an elder. 
He wants to be involved in ministry. Perhaps he wants to teach. He wants to communicate. When he hears of someone who needs a visit, he wants to be there. He's involved. He's active. He cares about the flock. The present leadership recognizes that, that this man is functioning as a shepherd. And they simply affirm that God has put it upon this man's heart. And then they check out his qualifications and see if they match 1 Timothy chapter 3, and if everything works out like that, then they lay hands upon that man as a symbol of approval for that man to join them as an elder in leadership of a church. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, would you just turn there, just a statement on that, but I think you should see it with your own eyes. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, remember this is dealing with the elders at Ephesus, and he says this, Verse 28, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which, watch this, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Do you see that? God makes a man an overseer. I don't do that. The church doesn't do that. Majority rule doesn't do that. God makes a man an overseer. That's important. God sovereignly selects those he wants. You see, being an elder in a church is not being on an executive committee. I know churches do that, but that's not the point. It's not just another board. There's a pastorate. You can't take a personality inventory test to see if you're qualified. You know, there are a lot of tests that says you'd be good for this job and you'd be good for that job. And if I took it, they'd probably say you wouldn't make it as a pastor. They probably would say that. You know, that's not the issue here. The issue is that God sovereignly selects people. And he puts that desire in their heart. A man wants it now. He aspires to it. He's got to have it. And he will have it if that's what God has done. And the church's job is to recognize that. Now, if a man is actively seeking eldership, Paul says at the end of verse 1, chapter 3, it is a fine work he desires to do. What a great statement. It's a fine work he desires to do. I'm glad. That's the work I do. I'm glad God says a fine work that I desire to do. Church leadership is significant because the work of a church leader is significant. It's a fine work. It's a good work. Some of your versions say it's a good work. You know what this word good means? There are two words in the Greek language for good. One speaks of intrinsic beauty. The other speaks, and this is the word used here, not only of intrinsic beauty, inward beauty, but beauty that is also attractive to see. It's not just inward, it's also outward and obvious for others to see. That's the word that's used here. In other words, what Paul is saying is, is that if any man aspires to the office of an overseer, it's a worthwhile, fine, praiseworthy, excellent, noble, and attractive work that he desires to do. It's something that's attractive. It's something that's visibly attractive. What a pastor does is good. He does not need to be ashamed of it at all. You see, the very reason the early church approved of the work of an elder is because they recognized how attractive and significant the work was. Overseeing the Lord's people is the most wonderful occupation a man could ask for. I couldn't ask for anything else. I mean, if they offered me the presidency of the United States, which they wouldn't, but if they did, in my view, that'd be a step down. That's how wonderful the work of an elder is. You cannot have a finer work than taking care of the church that Christ purchased. There's nothing greater on earth. Nothing. What is the work of an elder? This is some of the things that an elder does. 1 Timothy 3.5 says he takes care of the church of God. He is an overseer. He manages the church of God. Hebrews 13.17 says he gives an account for your souls. 
He also, and I mentioned this, he oversees the affairs of the church. He rules and teaches the church. 1 Timothy 5.17 speaks of that. And 1 Timothy 3.2 says he must be apt or able to teach. Elders pray and lay hands on the sick. James 5.14. Our elders do that in case you're wondering. They determined church policy. In Acts chapter 15, verse 22, they got together, the elders with the apostles, and determined that a Gentile doesn't need to become a Jew in order to be a Christian. So they determine church policy. They ordain others, that is, they appoint others, 1 Timothy 4.14, and they lay hands upon them. We'll be dealing more with that in weeks to come. They refute error, Titus 1.9. They must know doctrine enough to refute error. They are to set an example, 1 Peter chapter 5. They devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word, Acts chapter 6. They are involved also in church discipline. They protect the flock from error. They warn the flock. And there are other things too, but these are some of the things that they do. Now let me put this all together for you. Paul's point is this. Since the work of being an overseer is such a fine work, then it must demand a fine man. Not just anyone. Not just someone who says, well, I'm not busy. I can do it. Yeah. Or I've done it before in another church. No, it demands a qualified man. Not only a man who has a desire inwardly, but a man whose outward behavior indicates that God has called him to be an elder. And that's what we'll see next time we get together to look at this. Verse 1 speaks of the desire of the man, the significance of it. And only a man knows if he has that desire for the right motives and aspires for the right motives, but the church's responsibility is to check out the man. And that's what we find in verses 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. You see, it's one thing to come to the church and say, I desire to be an elder. Now the church says, well, let's check you out and see if you're qualified to be an elder. Desire is not enough. It begins there, but it is not enough. Very, very important. That's why we wanted to spend this time looking at the significance of the pastorate. I really believe that the 20th century church has been so weakened because they do not take seriously how important and significant their work of the ministry is. They may take it seriously on the level of the pulpit man, but somehow they've missed the point that there is a plurality of godly men who work together, and they all are in a significant work, and they all are to have the standards that qualify them for that work. Let's bow for prayer. If you find in your heart that you have not esteemed highly the leadership of this church, you should. And I'm not saying that because I'm part of it. I didn't make that up. That's what the Bible says. You ought to esteem them highly in love. You ought to appreciate them. Their work is significant. There's no other work on earth that's more significant than that. Do you appreciate them? Do you recognize them as really being pastors? Even if no one else does, do you do that? Even if others may not agree with what the Bible says about leadership, do you recognize them? Because this is what God's word says. That's important. We need to have that straightened out. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that the ministry of a pastor is so important. Thank you that you've given this church a plurality of godly men who function like that. And in days to come, Lord, there'll be more out of this congregation who will be functioning like that. We pray for those who will be elders in the future, Lord. Put it in their hearts and help them to make it clear that they do aspire to this. And Lord, most importantly, may their life reflect godliness, blamelessness. 
We pray, Father, that you'll help us to be careful as a church that the men who lead us are those who are godly, those who are above reproach, those who have their lives in order, those who can't be accused of misconduct. Too much is at stake. This is the church that Christ purchased. This is the church that the world looks at. And if there's leadership that's gone astray, then it will mock the gospel, blaspheme the church, Christ. So, Father, we pray that you help us to be mindful of the number of truths that we've studied tonight. And we pray this in Christ's name. You have been listening to the teaching of Pastor Steve Kreloff on Verse by Verse. As we wrap up today's program, we can see Paul's point. The work of being an overseer is a fine work. Therefore, it must demand a fine man. Not just anyone. It demands a qualified man. And not only a man who has a desire inwardly, but a man whose outward behavior indicates that God has called him to be an elder. On our next verse-by-verse broadcast, we will continue to look at this. We have seen the desire of an overseer as a good thing, but the responsibility of the church is to check their potential leaders to see if they measure up to what Paul has given Timothy. I hope you can join us on the next verse-by-verse broadcast as we continue our series, God's Standards for Church Leadership. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.